0: Get the load I'm hauling Hard work, I hit it harder Ain't nothing new for a backwoods farmer Sun up to sundown Backing up traffic all the way to town Camo hat and a farmer's town I'm welcome to Fast Line Fast Track, presented by Fast Line Media Group, your innovative consumer resource and marketing partner of choice for the evolving agricultural community. Now, here's your host, Brent Adams. Well, welcome
1: to another episode of Fast Line Fast Track. It's Brent Adams back with you, and so is my voice. And I'm awful glad you're here on this episode. Two of the biggest farm shows in the country, the National Farm Machinery Show in Louisville, Kentucky, and the World Ag Expo in Tulare, California, are happening next week, and we have previews of both of them. I'll also talk with Sam. Goldberg, producer of the film Silo, to get an update on the success of that project, and we'll take you to Hank Snow's iconic Rainbow Ranch in Madison, Tennessee, for the music of rising country sensation Karen Waldrop. You won't want to miss a moment of this one. Let's go. Well, first up this week on Fast Line Fast Track, it's my pleasure to welcome in David Beck, who's the president of Kentucky Venues and of the National Farm Machinery Show, uh, the largest indoor farm machinery show in the country. And David, uh, welcome into Fast Line Fast Track. Thank you. Good to see you again. Man, it's great to great to be seen here. This is the uh, this is the second time we've had a chance to do this. Uh, we started out uh, in the show's infancy last year talking about the show and had a blast uh, doing tapings from the show last year. We'll do that again this year in the South Wing C, booth 8881. This year we'll have uh, from Wednesday through Saturday we're, we're going to be cranking. Yeah, I appreciate your support of the show and thank you for getting the word out. Yeah. So this is the 55th annual uh, National Farm Machinery Show. It's going to be held February 12th through the 15th here at the Kentucky Exposition Center in Louisville, and, you know, this thing started out as an electricity demonstration, an exhibit back in
0: 63, became Farm Machinery Show in 66. It's just grown ever since then. It really has. In fact, uh, I celebrated a birthday this week, and my first year attending, I was in middle school. To think where it's come from to this point in time, it's amazing to see this show. What are some of your recollections of those early shows? We used to get a publication back when I was on the farm, and it was called the Kentucky Farmer Big, large tabloid. And it had the booths and displays and all the exhibitors. And we would actually map out our trip. Mm -hmm. It was a big deal to get that magazine. And then actually being able to live in this community for over 40 years and my previous responsibilities and be a sponsor and be out here and all. Uh, The thing that I think back about is over the years, the relationships of the people you meet from not just in Kentucky but around the country that are here and uh, enjoy that. Uh, Also, uh, to be able to see the young people, the next generation coming on being part of that myself many years ago and see it today. I really love to see the blue and gold jackets show up and young people in uh, the tractor pull. I like mm. American, you got your tractor pull tickets here, and now we have to award them in advance to make sure we're doing all that. So to see those transitions, it's just a, it's a great time for agriculture. It's a great time to be at this facility. Uh, and if you had any question about the
1: uh, scope and magnitude and uh, uh, just the uh – Uh, The power of this show, more than 300,000 attendees in 2019 and more than 60,000 tickets sold to the tractor pull.
0: It is amazing. When you think about a four-day show... When you can attract over three hundred thousand people with a common interest in agriculture, different aspects of it from different parts of the country, and occasionally a few from outside the country, being here on this property to, to discuss agriculture, to show the latest and the best, people come to see the new innovation, the new technology, but also discuss some pretty traditional issues. You know, we have a lot of seminars and information where people can be exposed to the. Um, but it's amazing we have a little over one point two million. Uh, indoor climate controlled space. So that does set us apart. There's some wonderful shows around the country But for the time of year we hold ours and the rich tradition that it has, uh, we're excited about that. But we don't want to take it for granted. Mm -hmm. We're always trying to listen to the the attendees. We also listen to the exhibitors and look for ways and trends in agriculture that we can prove it and make it worthwhile for those that spend their time and resources to be in Louisville the second week of February every year. Now, you mentioned the latest and greatest. Uh, One of the neat things about
1: this show being at the front end of the year a lot of manufacturers save up some of their big product
0: rollouts for this and i would imagine this year will be no different that's what we expect that's been the tradition and uh, a lot a lot of, not a lot said about that ahead of time mm-hmm. uh, i guess trade secrets so sure. to speak but well, it's neat to see that take place too to come and see it you know growing up around the show um, a few years ago uh, i came out on a saturday morning uh, and just walked the show from one end to the other and i was in a different role then and even though I've been here for many, many years and familiar with in and out for different meetings and events, I was amazed mm-hmm. to see every square foot what you could see in agriculture, for for large operations and small operations, and everything in between, and different type of commodities being produced. There's something here for everybody in agriculture. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the other neat things you mentioned earlier,
1: uh, youth and the, uh, the the blue jackets. Uh, again, this year, the Blue and Gold Auction, you know, big, big Iron Auctions, plus the uh, National Farm Machinery Show have uh, combined forces uh, to, to hold an auction that will benefit the Kentucky FFA
0: Foundation. Yes, very much so. You know, they've uh, they've had a history of being here now, working with that program. It's beneficial to farmers to be able to participate in that program and, and some of the proceeds going to good uh, cause. Because I believe, as others do, FFA can actually change lives of yeah. young people. And so we welcome those opportunities to partnership and appreciate their leadership in participating in that way. So we get back to the
1: tractor pull. Again, that, that's been going on about as long as the, uh, the, the Farm Machinery Show here. And each night at 7 o'clock, Saturday, February 15th at noon, uh, some of the best pullers from around the country
0: convene and, and you guys just pack Freedom Hall and, and, and have a good time with it. It is, it's, it's entertaining uh, it'll be the 52nd annual wow. championship tractor pull it's an invitational tra- tractor pull uh, well over $200,000 in prize money uh, for those that participate in it and it's exciting uh, it's it's the farmer's derby so to speak and it's just great to see the, uh, the people enjoy it. Uh, we've added uh, four new announcers to the program this time, uh, and, uh, and one of the goals is to increase audience participation. Hmm. So I think it will be entertaining. You know, in between the pool, there's a little downtime for a few minutes there, so uh be a lot of opportunity to engage the, the attendees, so I think they'll have a good time. We're looking forward. Again, it's a rich tradition, and we want to honor and protect that tradition. At the same time, we're looking to ways to make it even more exciting for the attendees and the poolers themselves. Mm-hmm. Now You had mentioned earlier
1: about uh, some, of the, uh, uh, some of the classes that are there, some of the demonstrations and so
0: forth. Are, are there any that stand out in your mind this year as uh, must-see events? I think one that gets a lot of interest is the new technology. Mm-hmm. There's always something in agriculture. And being an ag guy myself, and, um, but also in the private sector, uh, you think about many of the innovations that we have in our society. Uh, Many of the inventions that we utilize uh, from medicine to uh, various consumer products in households and in business community, uh, many of those started on the farm in agriculture. And so uh, I think we can take a lot of pride in that. Uh, Agricultural people are problem solvers, Mm -hmm. looking for ways to bring about efficiencies, uh, increase production, uh, increase profitability, looking for those avenues. So a lot of the things we have, you know, just like in drones uh, in our society, they were utilized on the farm too. Mm -hmm. And uh, so you think about different type of technology and equipment, modification, all the innovations that have come down through the years that allowed us not only to feed ourselves, but a good part of the world in agricultural production. And many times uh, we've overproduced. Mm-hmm. Uh, and many times some might think we're our own worst enemy. But that's because of creativity, innovation, uh, machinery development. But then the science of seed and production, genetics and livestock. Uh, you think of what we've been able to accomplish, uh, the amount of milk's, uh, pounds of milk being produced. All these various efficiencies, use of new products, a diverse use of products and byproducts. So much of that what we take for granted in our society. started in agriculture, started back in the farm, or started in the research center of those that support the agriculture industry. So that's pretty exciting to see that. So there is no charge
1: to come into the show. It opens each morning at 9, it closes at 6, and then everything transitions over to the tractor pool. But... Uh, a little bit of a different wrinkle this year. You guys are doing a registration. Uh, you, you can either register online before
0: the show at farmmachineryshow.org or here on site at any of the entrances. Yes, that's a new approach this year. It's a free show. continues to be f- free, and that's our goal for it continue to be free for the future. The, uh, we listen to our uh, attendees. Uh, we listen to the uh, various exhibitors, and we look for ways to enhance and improve the experience. Uh, I go to a lot of farm shows, and I've yet to go to one that there wasn't registration. So I've asked why. Why do we do that? What's the purpose? How's it utilized? So we have a free registration. It will be a volunteer registration this time. Uh, next year, it will be a mandatory registration. To get through the doors, you've got to have your registration. But this allows people to go online and register in advance, or if they arrive on the property, pretty much any entrance you use. And We all have our habits where we like to park, which door we want to go in, whichever way they come in. There will be kiosks there. We've got plenty of staff lined up to help people get registered, to get that in the system. And, for example, if I go through this year and register, Next year I come in, if I don't have anything to change, all i got to do is print. They'll print my card, and they'll give me my lanyard to put on, and, and I can walk on in. This year, if you arrive, if you don't want to register, you don't have to. You can come on in. But we encourage people to register. That allows us an opportunity to have a good idea of the actual numbers, the numbers per day, different times of the day. Gives us an idea of what the demographics are, where people coming from maybe even the types of production they have to help us better plan our our seminars, better plan uh, exhibits, and things that can meet that need. For example, this last year during the Kentucky State Fair, we had an increase of over 72% of school groups coming through. Uh, We are tracking that, and we're trying to learn what we can do to better appeal to that audience. I walked a floor. We have two facilities, this one in the Convention Center downtown, And I try to meet with all the show managers of all the 200 shows we have at Exposition Center and the 135 we have downtown at International Convention Center to learn what's important to them. The more feedback we have from exhibitors and attendees, the better experience we can provide on these facilities. So it's a way for us to better understand the demographics of those that attend determine their interest, and also allows us opportunity to get some feedback. If they were keen for a day, what would they change? And I think it's good to ask that question, so just to have that kind of dialogue to be helpful for people. I often get asked, is security a part of that? Uh, Security is a priority of ours, but quite frankly, security was not part of the registration. Uh, I've advocated since I've been in this position that I want a safe facility for all of our attendees. I want a safe facility for all our exhibitors and our colleagues and our sponsors, anyone that's involved with this property. In fact, we partner well with the state police. We partner with the Louisville Police Department. As we were tearing down Cardinal Stadium... uh, Uh, We invited them out the SWAT team to use live ammunition. I pray we never need them, but I pray we ever do. They got the skill set and they know our part of our own backyard. So security is a priority, but security was not a factor. Some people ask me that, so I'll just share that. Security was not a factor in bringing this change about, but it's something that's expected in the industry. It's something the exhibitors were looking for and also allows us to better serve our clients and customers. Mm -hmm. So if you
1: get the chance and you're listening to this now you've got a couple days to uh, work with it make sure you get on that website again farmmachineryshow.org go ahead and pre-register and also while you're there uh, they've got a great show planner on there they've got a, a rundown of exhibitors and schedule and so forth Put yourself together a plan. Make sure you allow yourself plenty of time. Again, 1.2 million plus square feet of space and 900 displays plus seminars. It's a lot to take in, a lot of walking, a lot of time. You want to leave yourself plenty of time to see everything because it's a lot.
0: It is. And, and you know, the one of the exciting things is we'll bring a lot of our city cousins out, the business community, and as we get the second and third generation removed from the farm, we, uh, we invite a lot of non-agricultural people to come see it. Uh, we invite a lot of elected officials to come see the event. We want them to be in tune with agriculture. We want them to understand what today's agriculture is all about. I think that's helpful, and we view part of our mission is help bridge that gap between mm-hmm. urban and rural. So that's part of our mission. Uh, uh, we talk about that with our board and our management team, and so uh, it's it's a diverse group, but the primary purpose, the majority of people here, will be those involved in agricultural production. And if they don't
1: understand for any other reason, they should understand it, because as the nation's largest farm show, the National Farm Machinery Show, brings an economic impact of more than $17 million to the community
0: through hotels and restaurants and retail and so forth. It's a big deal. It is. It's big business. It's big business. And we want to treat it like a business. And that's why it's important to monitor the trends in the industry but also monitor the trends in uh, the trade show business mm-hmm. and the convention business so that we can better meet that. You know, everybody has meeting space. Everybody has meeting rooms. Everybody has podiums and stages and trade show areas. But what sets us apart? And uh, having a over 1.2 million square feet of climate-controlled space is one thing; having sufficient parking is another. But many of our exhibitors may want to be outdoors, so we have that opportunity too. So uh, it's the best utilization of this property, and, that's, and we treat this property like our farm. I want every acre of it, mm-hmm. and what's the best utilization of that acre to be beneficial for its intent and purpose? Well, and I tell you what, we travel the country
1: doing these shows, and mm-hmm. I would never knock any of them because they all do a, a great job in their own right, and. Uh, treat us very well but uh, you're not going to find a a better run show here than the national farm machinery show and uh, better facilities and and just a better overall experience and uh, david we thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us here on fast line fast track and we're just super excited about uh, being able to dig in next
0: week and and having some fun here at the national farm machinery show well, thank you, and, and thank you for that nice comment about our facilities and our team and the show that we produce. Uh, we're excited about it. Thank you for the job you do and telling the story. Again,
1: the National Farm Machinery Show will be held February 12th to the 15th, at the Kentucky Exposition Center in Louisville, 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. each day. The tractor pull at 7, with the exception of Saturday. It'll be at noon, uh, and admission is free with that registration, but parking is $10, $20 for buses. Make sure you bring that $10 bill along or bring the old plastic with you. Be ready for that, but uh, make sure you get yourself here to Louisville, Kentucky for the National Farm Machinery Show. Well, the World Ag Expo will be held February 11th through the 13th at the International Agri Center in Tulare, California. The show will feature nearly 1,500 exhibitors and more than 100,000 people are expected to attend. We wanted to bring in Jennifer Fox, the marketing manager for the show and the Agri Center. And Jennifer, welcome into Fast Line Fast Track.
2: Hi, thanks for having me.
1: Well, we appreciate you taking the time to join us here. This is the largest outdoor agriculture show in the country. And in addition to exhibitors, you have so many things going on, informative seminars, ag tours, demonstrations, and a whole lot more. What's new for this year?
2: Oh, my goodness. So many things. Uh, So first and probably biggest, one of the biggest conversations in ag over the last year has been hemp. So we did add a new hemp pavilion to the show. It's just under 10,000 square feet. It will have exhibitors and seminars all three days of the show. Uh, we've also had a huge response on that. So mo- more folks, there will be some outdoor exhibitors around the pavilion, and we're just adding a hunt, we're calling it a hunt village uh, with a couple of demonstrations and some folks. There's hemp road trip uh, is planned to be here and just giving people uh, a little more opportunity to be at the show and learn about hemp. So that's a big one for us. Um and then, of course, we have a new focus, a renewed focus, on international guests and international trade. So we're going to be doing matchmaking sessions on Tuesday of the show. They're prearranged, and we have folks registering matched, matched and uh, do a lot more business at the show. So we're excited about uh, really upping the show with more business and a new crop.
1: When one of the things that people look forward to every year, you come out with your list of top 10 new product winners and they're featured at the show.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And they, you know, we had some great entries this year that judges decided on those top 10 and just some great, everything from very simple, um, very smart, simple solutions like latches and, and things that are pretty basic, but really important, make a difference on your operation to some high tech stuff, an electric tractor. Is included plus a uh, another company came out with with all you know everything being digital or new things on brand new tractors that you need to take it in to find out what is this light? Why is it on now? Actually, an all makes all models diagnostic tool. So a little bit of everything
1: for every operation. When well, this being one of the biggest shows in the country, that you also have uh, a lot of the, the big manufacturers save up mm-hmm. their new product rollouts. Uh, what are you hearing? What are you seeing there?
2: I just saw a release from Case today. They're sending out some new information on new releases. So they're going to be here with new things um, in the lineup launching. And also their new deal with the Welker family. And the Welkers will be here at the show site. Agco, of course, is doing some great stuff. And John Deere was in our top ten new products with their fixed frame tractor. So they'll have that here as well. New Holland, too. Um, It looks like they have, I think they're going to do some demos with a new skid steer it looks like. So, um you know, just great lineup, lots of people doing things. We've even got those, you know, small tractors, LS tractor. Always have some great small pieces. Uh they'll be pulling some of our trams this year. So, lots of things to see. Everybody's got something. I've got a list of at least 30, 40 exhibitors with something new that as based on what I know so far and what they've told me. So, lots of stuff
1: to see. In addition to the Hemp Pavilion, you also have a Wine and Cheese Pavilion and something that is uh, of uh, of a particular interest to our Pink Tractor followers is a Women in Ag Pavilion with with seminars that are geared directly toward women in agriculture.
2: Yeah, we have a few options. And of course, we love everyone to have a choice in what they want to see and do at the show. Um, Of course, one is Women in Ag for Mentoring and Empowerment, Whammy, which is just a fun acronym. Uh, They do a full three days at the show in a seminar trailer, and they do an amazing job. They get such a great lineup. It's varied from how to make sure you're dressed for success and your resume is good to go to how to get on boards and become that corporate leader As in addition to those day jobs and have to, you know, be a part of a bigger conversation. Uh, Also, there's just updates, government policy update meetings as well with some great folks. So, um, Pam Sweetens and our group do a great job uh, programming that lineup. We also, of course, have our World Egg Women team who bring more of the entertainment side. So if you need a minute to sit down and want to go see how all the great produce and things that are produced by agriculture, what you can, uh, what kind of meal you can make with them, you can see some local chefs and get a taste test as well. Um, but they also have some great gardening uh, workshops and, and a few other Great topics in there. So there's a lot of options.
1: Well, as the show's name indicates, there's a world focus, and as such, there'll be exhibitors and attendees from around the world there. And one of the biggest news stories out there right now is the international spread of the coronavirus. And I understand that the World Ag Expo is working closely with federal, local, and state officials to be able to monitor the situation and devise a plan right there on the grounds.
2: Absolutely. And, you know, we work with local, state, and federal folks every year on health and safety. So this year will be no different. Um, We actually had the Tulare County Health Department here this morning taking a tour of the ground and looking at places where we're going to add signage to remind folks to wash their hands and what some of the symptoms might be in case we need to take uh, take some extra steps. Uh, Again, a lot more hand washing stations. Washing hands is definitely one of the top ways to keep illness at bay of any kind. Actually, our local health department is a bit more concerned, and of course, we'll never take anything lightly, but they're a bit more concerned about the cold and flu season here locally. Um, just, you know, looking to be a, a tough season, and we want to keep everyone safe. So just know when you're coming to the show, we've looked at everything from the coronavirus to the flu to just general safety and making sure that we're screening. Um, folks, especially our international traver- travelers, we love to have them here, but we also want the uh, federal government taking a look at the list and making sure they're only letting the right people, you know, the people we want here in the country to come, and uh, and of course now they also are doing the screenings at some of our biggest gateways, uh, those airports in L.A. and San Francisco, making sure folks are only coming if they're well
1: enough to travel. So the show, again, runs February 11th through the 13th. Tell us about the hours.
2: Sure. Uh, Tuesday and Wednesday, we are open nine a.m. to five p.m. And Thursday, we're a little shorter. We start at nine a.m. and close at four
1: p.m. So make sure you go check them out. Also, uh, make sure you go check out that website worldagexpo.com. Again, that's worldagexpo.com. Uh, you get a show schedule there. You know, we got a program everything that you want to know about the show.
2: I would also say to you folks, uh, get the app. Download the World Ag Expo twenty twenty app on android or apple and a great resource you can start planning ahead on your show. some things, things you want to see because again it's 2.6 million square feet it's a lot of walking a lot to see uh, so we love people to come more than one day
1: wear your comfortable shoes and come with a plan and jennifer thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on Fastline fast track it's always great to chat with you and uh, we wish you guys the best of success with the show this year
2: thank you so much
1: Well, next up on Fast Line Fast Track, while well, at the recent American Farm Bureau Federation Convention and Trade Show in Austin, Texas, I had the chance to catch up with Sam Goldberg, the producer of the film Silo, a dramatic true story about a harrowing grain entrapment accident that took place in Illinois in 2010. The film has had a huge impact on the agricultural community since its debut last August. Rather than being seen in theaters, the Silo team is taking it directly to communities through exclusive screening events. It's been a successful model and continues to draw attention throughout the country. Sam, welcome in to Fast Line Fast Track.
3: Thank you, sir. Nice. Thanks for having me.
1: So we got to catch a screening of the film at the Farm Progress Show back in August in Illinois. And since then, you guys have done a whole lot with it.
3: Yeah, we launched our community screening campaign at Farm Progress Show August 27th. We thought and hoped people would reach out so they could bring the film to their town, and that's what's happened. We've had actually over 500 requests to screen the film, over 50 already done, with another couple hundred planned for the next three months, and had the privilege to show the movie again here yesterday at the American Farm Bureau Federation's convention and their general sessions just a few hours before President Trump spoke. So very unique, very humbling opportunity for our small film team. but. Having a lot of positive traction and feedback, I'm really glad.
1: And how humbling is it? You talk about being humbling to not only have a, a film that, that people uh, gravitate toward, but, but one that also has an impact and could
3: uh, really affect lives here. You know, it's one of those things where I think in life you just gotta start with what you love. If you do what you love, good things will happen. I just love making movies, I love working in the arts. That's what this started from, just having an open mind because you know, ultimately if you're gonna be working in the arts you gotta be thinking from other people's perspectives, right? It just started as a very simple idea, then it evolved into getting to know farmers, then I learned that there's so many accidents, then I learned grain entrapments are happening, now there's a mental health challenge in agriculture. Um, you know, it's more, I'm just proud of our team's willingness to listen. And I'm also blown away by the generosity and open-mindedness of the ag community. I'm a New York city kid, nothing to do with agriculture for the first 30 years of my life. And over the last few years now, it's totally evolved for me too. So what kind of feedback are you getting from folks after they have seen the motion picture? I mean, people are loving the movie. They're really liking the movie. It's, uh, It's been a a unique process. You make something and you hope people like it. You don't know they're going to like it. Sometimes I watch movies I've worked on and I don't like them as much as I thought I would either, but it's resonating. People are coming out of the screenings and they're touched it's it's bypassing their head and it's going to their heart and that's the goal and i hope that we definitely can save some lives because we get people a message in a package that is interesting and compelling and thrilling even if it's at times very challenging to watch how have you been embraced personally by the ag community throughout all of this I have, listen, I have some of the best friends of my life now are farmers: Quintly A. Pottinger in Kentucky, Brandon Davis in Kentucky, you know Dale Dobson, who's over in your state, the Sue Cup family in Iowa, you know the Turtle Plastics Company in Ohio. I've just my network in my personal life has changed. You know, the people I talk to often has changed. So it's really more now about friendships and relationships. And as, as a wider industry, feeling embraced and feeling like we've been given a vote of confidence by institutions like American Farm Bureau Federation, like the Farm Progress Show, like the Louisville Farm Machinery Show, which we'll be at in a few weeks as well. February 14th, we're screening the film. All these institutions are saying, we approve of your movie, we approve of you, we'll let you speak. It's meaningful, it's really nice. So if folks haven't had a chance to check it out, where can they go to check it out? So it's not a movie you can just watch online. It's not like that. You've got to go to our website and sign up to host a screening. So you go to silo silothefilm.com, S-I-L-O-T-H-E-F-I-L-M, Silo the Film. And the first thing that comes up, it says host a screening. Click on it. You fill out a form. We'll call you. The cost of an event is $2,500, but we send you all sorts of materials that make it very easy to get it, get it done. We send you a Blu-ray DVD. We send you a curriculum. We send you publicity materials. So the idea is people reach out to us. We bring it to you. We make it something impactful that's both entertaining and educational to bring safety to the communities, to fortify and unify communities, and to depict agriculture in an authentic and positive way. That's our number one goal.
1: Well, And I tell you what, I, I can definitely vouch for it, having uh, sat through the movie and watched it and, and getting that uh, feeling in the pit of my stomach, watching it all play out. It's it's intense and it drives home the message of safety on the farm. And you guys did a magnificent job
3: with it. And uh, oh, we just appreciate you taking the time to join us here. Thanks, Brent. I appreciate it. And it's good chatting with you four months apart. I hope we chat again four months. Well, next up, we take you
1: to Hank Snow's iconic Rainbow Ranch in Madison, Tennessee for the music of rising country star Karen Waldrop, presented by the Ernest Tubb Record Shop 417 Broadway in the heart of downtown Nashville, Tennessee. Karen's album, Justified, is out now. She's preparing to hit the road this summer, including a tour stop opening for Craig Morgan. She also has a single out called Me Again with another great country artist, William Michael Morgan. I'm excited for you to meet Karen Waldrop. Back on Fast Line Fast Track from Hank Snow's legendary Rainbow Ranch in Madison, Tennessee outside of Nashville. It's Brent Adams, and I'm here with Karen Waldrup. Karen is a country music singer, songwriter, and as her bio puts it, a social media darling. Uh, it also uh, describes her as an innovative entrepreneur, and we're going to get into that. But Karen, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here on Fast Line Fast Track.
4: Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Happy New Year.
1: Uh, Happy New Year. It's super exciting to, uh, to, to be in uh, man in this space here, and if these walls could talk right it's it's incredible man but uh looking at your career i've been following you for a few years now and watching the trajectory that you're taking here uh, your debut album uh, justified was produced by Garfundis, fundus who's worked with trisha yearwood in alabama and uh you have an appreciation for the history and the folks that got you uh to this stage here
4: Oh, truly. I'm, I just started the Ken Burns Country documentary, uh, and my goal is to get through it because I do think the history of country music and, and what got us here is really important for me to know, and I think I do have a lot to learn. I've lived in Nashville for a while, and I've you know studied kind of the scene and the, the music world and music row and all that, but there's always a lot to learn about kind of what got us to where we are today and who was instrumental in that. And, and today with the internet and everything that we're able to do, it's it's great to be able to kind of take the next step of of that whatever that is who Mm -hmm. knows
1: what that is where did the love of country music come from
4: when I was a little girl my older sister kept ordering I don't know if you remember back in the day when you could like go online and order like or you could go on a magazine and order like like
1: Columbia House
4: yeah you could get like seven CDs or eight CDs and then they would ship you more and charge you for it like without even (laughs) telling you and stuff so she got into ordering some of this great music back when I was about 13 years old like the Dixie Chicks and Faith Hill and Trisha Yearwood which Mm -hmm. was cool because that came full circle Um, and Garth Brooks and just some of the stuff that was happening in the 90s and I started listening to that and I think that was kind of the first step that kind of brought me into some of the, okay, well now I want to learn about Martina McBride. Now I want to learn about Miranda Lambert. Now I want to learn about Dolly Parton. Like I want to learn about all the different times and, and, and feelings and energy of all the different types of music that has, that has happened. But I think for country music itself, I'm from South Louisiana. Mm-hmm. So I've always really been drawn to soul music and, and R&B and jazz. And when my sister started ordering those CDs, I think that's really what opened the door for me to actually kind of go into towards the country music element, because I was literally so impacted and affected by the Dixie Chicks fly record. Uh-huh. I mean, I studied the record. I was like 13. i i learned how to play every single song on that record. Like it was the first song I ever learned how to play on guitar. And I think it's cool too because Dixie Chicks had all those harmonies. Mm -hmm. So as a child, I was like studying these harmonies and like isolating the parts in my head of like, okay, this is a fiddle. You know, this is a, a guitar. This is, you know, like this is a steel guitar. Like I could, I was, I was intelligent musically enough at 13 to know that these are the different sounds and these are the different parts. And I was always singing in choir. So I think that was really good for me. Mm-hmm. Discovering the Dixie Chicks was like really good musically for me. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I kind of went into all the different other you know, sure. explorations of music. So, so
1: what was it about music that grabbed you? I mean, at that age, you're talking about being, you know, a, t- a teenager, when, when you could have looked at it and said, okay, well, maybe I want to be a doctor or, or an architect or a school teacher or whatever, but there was something about music that, that, that took a hold that, uh, that, that kind of pulled you in. What was that?
4: Whenever I was um, really young, I was always in choir. Mm-hmm. So like elementary school choir, middle school church choir, high school choir. I mean, I was just singing all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think for... For me, you know, when I was singing in all these churches, I didn't really necessarily know that I was going to have a career in music, really. But I knew that it felt good to sing, and I knew that it was fun, and it was really a thrill to like find harmony parts and and pick on the guitar. And I knew that that was really fun. And then what I think was really important, and I was just telling my family about this over the Christmas break, but I was in um, choir in a place called Arley the Lake Church in South Louisiana, and there was a guy in the choir. His name's Chris Este mm-hmm. and he played guitar, and he. Would write songs and he's the one that opened the door to me about the ideology of writing a song and oh my gosh all you have to do is play whatever you want and sing whatever you want like that's awesome how fun is that I want to do that and then what was really cool is that I tried to go to Bourbon Street when I was 16 years old which was really dumb (laughs) my parents caught me and I got grounded for three months. And when I was grounded, it gave me the time to really focus on my instrument and learn how to play it. And I'm forever thankful that I went to Bourbon Street right. that night. Career was born. Huh? <laughs> yes, seriously. On a 16-year-old night. Down, yeah, we never made it to Bourbon. We weren't smart enough to make it there, but we tried and we got in very much trouble for it, but it so, paid off.
1: So at what point do you say, okay, uh, maybe I am good enough to do this, and, uh, you know, if I'm going to do it, Nashville is the place to be.
4: Yeah, so um, back whenever I was singing in that church choir, um, the, Chris Ashton which ironically ended up opening up for me last year, which is insane, small world. Um, But anyway, whenever I would go in and I would play with him and write with him and create and learn, they put me on the stage in this church in front of like a 1,000 people playing guitar. Mm -hmm. Now they turned the volume down a lot, Mm -hmm. but it gave me this opportunity to like play along with this band and like get my rhythm right and like feel comfortable in front of people and then i was kind of like hooked if you will like i really loved to write i love i was like constantly writing and then i went to college at the university of southern mississippi and while i was in college people found out that i wrote and sang so they kept wanting me to play their tailgate or play their bar or play their festival or play their outdoor whatever for the basketball games so i kind of became this like staple artist at the university of southern mississippi i was playing so many shows it was unbelievable like Crazy. I was playing like four or five nights a week while I was in school. I'm playing at fraternity houses, sorority houses, I mean, anything really, anywhere. Uh-huh. And that's when I was a junior and I really started making some money. Mm-hmm. And I was like, gosh, you know, this is like, I'm obviously have something here. If I'm able to make money and people are keep hiring me, I should probably go somewhere where I can do something with this. And I didn't know if that was New York or LA or Nashville or Atlanta or Austin, New Orleans. Any of those places would have worked. And I chose Nashville because when I when I got to the city and I stepped foot in Nashville, it just felt so right. Like mm-hmm. it felt it felt safe enough you know, it was one of the safer city options for me, and I was a small town girl, so I just wanted to make sure I was really safe. But it also felt musically right, uh-huh. like the music that was being played here felt right. Uh-huh. And so I chose Nashville, not necessarily because of any but the city, but more because of the feel and the energy that Nashville has. So I moved here. I got a day job for three years, and um, and while I was at that day job, I kind of built. A little something, something. Uh And then uh, finally, after being on a national television show in uh, 2013 on Bravo, I was able to quit my day job completely, and I have not had to work uh, day job since. So I've been really blessed.
1: Gotcha. So what were you doing?
4: I was selling copy machines. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a whole industry uh, selling copy machines. Some of the listeners listening may be thinking of their copier salesperson right now, but that was me. <laughs> and uh, there's a whole industry. Usually um, copy machines are, are on leases. Uh-huh. So the industry is going in, building a relationship and trying to get them to move to your company because no one really owns the sure. equipment. So it's just a matter of taking the business. So I was just trying to take all everybody's business. Uh-huh. And it was really fun. And I feel like one thing that selling copiers taught me is how to have tough skin Mm. for this business, because you have to have a really tough skin for this business. I mean, it's tough. I mean, there are days that are tough. There are days that are beautiful. There are perfect days. There are horrible, hard days. Um, And I think selling copy machines taught me how to have tough enough skin to continue no matter what. Uh Because when you sell copy machines, I mean, you get a lot of no's. So I learned how to hear no.
1: So, we mentioned innovative entrepreneur earlier, and one of the things that really strikes me about your career is that... Um, you know you see a lot of artists and they will put every different facet of the business in somebody else's hands and they just concentrate solely on uh, performing songwriting singing whatever but uh, i've kind of watched how, how you have gone about it and uh, y- your album justified was was crowdfunded yes a- and uh, it, you have done so much on social media and uh, uh, have really taken the bull by the horns and really directed each facet of, of your career to this point.
4: Thank you. I appreciate you noticing that. Um, it's not necessarily because of choice. I didn't necessarily say, oh, this is what I want to do. It was more um, just God working in my life and, and God opening certain doors for me. And when you have God opening a door to say, oh, we have a great, amazing producer for you, but we don't have a, a, a record label yet, then you just go okay. Well, how do we make it work? And you just kind of figure it out somehow. And so the way I figured it out was okay. We'll have a lot of fans. I have a lot of people. Our Waldr—I call it Waldrop Worldwide. Mm. That's our fan. That's our family. <laughs> what we call it, Waldrop Worldwide. And it's um, sitting at five hundred and eighty thousand people right now. Wow. And thanks. And our goal this year is to reach it to seven hundred fifty thousand. Um, which doesn't seem like too big of a goal, but it's still 200,000 people. So I'm trying to keep the goal reasonable um, so we can hit it. Mm-hmm. And um, anyway, my point of telling you that is that I knew I had people. I knew I didn't have, I, I knew what I did have, and mm. what I did have was people. Yeah. And so I just allowed those people to be a part of what I was doing and just was completely transparent and honest with them and just said, hey, you know, instead of me me paying for this record. And then y'all having to buy it later, just buy it now. And then I'll just send it to you when I'm done with it. So they basically pre-ordered it really. Uh Um, there were some perks that were like excessive, like, um, me flying to their town and playing an acoustic show. And those were people who really wanted to help and and they wanted a show too. So there were some things that I did that were bigger, you know, things, but most of it was, you know, pre-order the CD and get a t-shirt and you know how crowdfunding works and then sending everybody a thank you thing and exclusive, you know, first listens to stuff and, keeping them in the studio with me and going live with them and sharing the experience with them. And What I learned from from Indiegogo, which is the one I use, but crowdfunding in general, um, I learned—well, and I didn't necessarily have to learn it. Someone called me whenever I launched mine. Um, I got a phone call, and I've shared this with other artists that have have launched Indiegogos, but he called me, and he was such a nice guy, and he was a European artist, and he said, "Um, I saw your crowdfunding campaign. I just want to tell you that I know it just launched, but it's not going to be anything like you expect. It's going to be the last thing you expect. He's like, your aunt and uncle are, you know, and your grandparents and they're not going to be involved. And the random strangers from Iowa are going to be super into it. Mm-hmm. He's like, so you just really have to let the music pull and lead the project rather than trying to create something. And man, was he right. Yeah. He was so right. And had he not told me that, I think it, had, it would have been harder for me. Because looking back, you know, when you open Justify, the physical copy, and you pull the CD out, there's a list of 600 names. Mm-hmm. And most of those people I do not know. Yeah. And that's beautiful. It's really beautiful. There are people from Sweden, people from Estonia, people from Canada, people from all over the world that were affected at some point enough to pull their pocketbook out and say, hey, I want to pre-order this album before I even know what songs are going to be on it, before I even know what's going to happen, because I just think it's going to be great. Mm -hmm. And those people, to this day, are some of my dearest friends. I mean, the, the relationship that you build with the people who connect with you on a record is astonishing. It is indescribable. I mean, I can give you two examples. One example is um, one of the ladies who was a part of my Indiegogo crowdfunding campaign. She ended up flying to Nashville and helping me with like video content. And then I ended up flying in and playing at her son's wedding and we're like BFF. I support her business. She supports mine. We are forever friends. And we met through my Indiegogo crowdfunding campaign, you know? So I told her as a joke right before her son and uh, got married, I, I pulled her aside and I said, uh, anyone who says that crowdfunding campaigns aren't, aren't, uh, authentic is, is a mistake. That is a fool. Uh-huh. And she laughed. She thought that was funny. And then there's another example and there's 600 of us. Uh-huh. So there, these are just two short examples, but the other one is, um, a friend, she contributed to that crowdfunding campaign. She was a super a, a, a huge part of it emotionally. She was listening. She was a part of all the live streams and she just kept giving and feeling and feeling and feeling. Well, flash forward two years later, I'm the one fueling her life because she just found out that she has cancer Mm -hmm. and her husband just lost her job and we're shipping her Christmas gifts and people are sending her money. So I think it's just a testimony of when you give, you receive. And if you live your life never being generous to other people and never fueling community, you could possibly find yourself when it's your turn because everyone has their turn without help. So I think these people that helped me and then me now helping them, are a testimony of being generous in this world, and and not being so selfish, and just giving back somehow. Mm-hmm.
1: And, and I think if, if you're uh, sitting here listening to this, uh, you, you understand why 600 people gave to that, uh, if you hear uh, Karen's heart for all that, but uh, not only that, but uh, you rewarded them by uh, placing uh, that that album on four of Billboard's album charts right off the bat. So that's something about the quality of the work there.
4: Well, thank you. Um, I think they actually rewarded me with that because they're the ones who listened to it, downloaded it, streamed it. Um, so they are the ones who had, get all the credit for that. That was, I mean, we made the record, but they everything else.
1: <laughs> ah. Well, the song Sometimes He Does received uh, critical acclaim from Rolling Stone as well. So uh, you don't get that validation without... Uh Without, without being pr- pr- pretty solid Thanks, yeah, Laurie
4: McKenna wrote that song And that was one of two songs I did not write on the record But it is my hands down
1: Favorite song from the record uh, Laurie McKenna, whose star is very hot In Nashville yes. r- right now So, uh, you know That that uh, also led you to some accolades In 2018, Nashville Industry Music Awards uh, Artist of the Year, Song of the Year Best Live Country Performer And Best Solo Country uh, Female Artist of the Year And then in 2019, uh, the Torch Awards from Keith Whitley. And it was so wild, I have to tell you, as I was preparing all the notes for this, um, uh, uh, listening to this uh, last night. Uh uh, Keith Whitley came on. No
5: kidding. Somebody's
1: Doing Me Right came on as I was literally typing that line. Wow. And I said, wow, that's a little God wink right there. That sure it's, is. Uh, some cool stuff there. So, uh, uh, and as a matter of fact, as I started writing this, uh, one of the songs that was playing was uh, was Kitty Wells. You, you know me? just uh, And they called her the, the queen of country music. So, uh, uh, it, it does my heart good to see uh, where, where you're going with all this. Uh, one of your latest singles, Me Again, features uh, William Michael Morgan.
4: Oh, yeah, uh, my boy. A
1: guy we've been trying <laughs> to get on here. We've uh, uh, worked with two or three of the other artists uh, that, that are managed by the same uh, uh, folks that, that manage him, but uh, we, we've not been able to uh, hook up as of yet, but uh, that's on the horizon I'll tell him how
4: great you are. Well, <laughs> I, I
1: appreciate that. We uh, would love to have him on here, but, uh, hey, you know, talking about Kitty Wells, yeah, you, you know... How much do you think there is a price to be paid to carry that mantle and keep things going? Or is that something you even think about?
4: Um, I think the women who came before us did have it harder. Mm -hmm. I really do. I think you know you people want to complain in 2019 2020 oh you know female artist this female artist that and that that is true i'll give them that there are there there are definitely challenges but we are not making music in the days before women had the same equality that sure. they have now so we don't deal with quite the same battle mm-hmm. we, we deal with our own battles I mean trust me I can't tell you how many people have said oh we can't work with female artists because of blah 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 mm-hmm. um, and that's cool like whatever but you can just go on with your life because we are not going to be able to change we are female and that is the way it is um, but I do think it's a lot easier for us. So I don't I try not to complain because you look at the Dolly Partons of the world who really did have obstacles with men thinking that women weren't equal. Yeah. Whereas now we're kind of in a society where women are, you know, we vote, we we go, we hang out, we, you know, drink wine, we we do whatever the men do, right? But it, we do have our own battle, but I try not to complain too much because at the same time there are so many situations where i am completely equal to a man and those situations are spotify youtube you know these these massively uh, huge channels that people can consume music you know i have just as much of power to reach people on facebook or instagram or twitter yeah. as a guy so so i think there's there's benefits and there's hardships but i think people like kitty wells and dolly parton and you know the carters and all these people who came up before women were really perceived as being equal, if you will, definitely had it harder. Mm -hmm. No doubt. I mean, I don't know. I haven't met Dolly Parton. I'll ask her when I meet her.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, then you put it out there, like, with the Indiegogo thing, and you you let the people decide.
4: Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, so what's new uh, for, for 2020? What, what's on the horizon here for you?
4: 2020 is a really exciting year for me. Um, 2018 was super hard. Um, I had an article that People Magazine wrote about my year in 2018, and it was just a really challenging year. And if you're listening, you can go read that article. But it was about um, personal hardships, security hardships, financial hardships, um, musical hardships. It was just a really hard year. I had justified, done, ready to go, but God kept sending me all these battles to fight that had nothing to do with the record. Um, And meanwhile, I was writing a memoir, a book um, from January 1st until um, mid-2019. So when I started the book, the goal, the book originally started to be called Good Old Fashioned Persistence. And the book idea was supposed to be to show people how to release a record independently. Mm -hmm. Well, what ended up happening was the book turned into a drama. Mm -hmm. And it is a fascinating memoir. It is a drama, no doubt. Um, And it really isn't really that much about music, it's more about the battles. So I changed the title to The Music and the Rest of It, which is, it it does talk about music. It talks about shows. It talks about touring. It talks about flights. It talks about all that. But it talks about some really, really intense stuff. So during that time, so then 2019 was just this best year of my life. We traveled all over the world. We played internationally. The music was great. Um, I was super happy about 2019. And now that we're going into 2020, I have these little things that are like, That I already have. Like I have a music video that we shot with uh, William Michael Morgan that's about to come out. I have a book that's about to come out. I have a song called Breakthrough that's about that year that's about to come out. Um, I have a new song I wrote called Kendall County Road that's about being away from family based on me being away from family. I have a brand new song um, that I just wrote called Denver in December that's about being on the other end of alcohol and drug addiction. So I feel that all these experiences are kind of coming full circle and now I'm sitting with just this bowl of, you know, stuff. I want to do a perfume line this year. I want to, there's like a whole list of like, just all this cool stuff that I'm able to do. And I think it's just a matter of sitting down with my team. Um, I'm about to get new management this year and coming up with how we most efficiently use this, all of these things that I've kind of got in my pocket, you know, And, and how does that, how does that work most efficiently, and also grow my fan base, and also continue to tour, have fun, and get more creative and more um, expressive mm. through the music. So, I think that's my goal this year. And, and when I was thinking about my New Year's resolution, I was thinking about how, over the past however many years I've been making music, when I walk on stage or, excuse me, walked past tense, when I walked on stage, my heart was filled with so many things. Like I was thinking about how many people were there or the crowd or my outfit or my lipstick. I was, there's a million things in my mind. And this year I'm challenging myself to take all of that away. And when I walk on stage, promise myself that I will walk on and I will focus on one thing, and that is the music. Mm. And I'm going to try my best to not focus on other things because I feel like it'll enhance my my sound. I feel like it'll enhance the moment. People will feel it more. And I just think it's time. Yeah. You know, I think I just, you know, we all grow and mature, and there's things that, like, bring you through different phases of, you know, your career, but for the first time, I'm I feel that I can walk on stage and just focus on the music because we've built it enough mm-hmm. off stage, you know. I can just really focus now on building it on stage and trying to enhance that because that's really what I do. That's that's really what I do. The perfume line, the book and all that's fun, but when the lights go down Like I don't want to think about that kind of stuff. I just really want to focus on the actual music. Mm
1: -hmm. So So if people, aside from music, want to check in on you uh, week in and week out, uh, you you do uh, uh, a little show to to kind of pull back the curtain a bit. Uh, Tell us a bit about that and where folks can can check that out.
4: Yeah, thanks for asking about that. Um, Waldrop Wednesday is a weekly video series that I do in a partnership with Country Rebel, which um, is a lifestyle brand. Um, You can find them all over the internet. They're amazing people. Love partnering with them. And um, a couple years ago, I started doing weekly video series with them. I can't remember exactly when it is. We need to look that up. But I think it was May 2000. I can't remember. seven. Maybe two years, it might be going on two years, I think. I can't remember. But anyway, um, I know it's been at least a year. Anyway, and so um, it was actually their idea. They were like, hey, have you ever thought about doing a weekly video series? And I'm like, I can't do a weekly video series. Sometimes I'm on a plane, sometimes I gotta go, you know, I'm a, I'm a person, I have to go get my hair cut. You know, I don't know what I might be doing that day. Um, so I don't know if I could do a weekly video series. And I remember the exact moment he, we were on FaceTime and it was me and my friend Amy and, and then, um, Kevin with country rebel who was on FaceTime. And he said, Karen, you don't have to do it live. Just, just make videos and then upload them once a week. And that was the moment that mm-hmm. I was like, oh, oh, how easy is that? No big deal. I'll just, and so I think the one thing that I have done right in my career is my weekly video series. I think the, um, Consistency of giving people uh, content every week um, shows your generosity. It shows that you are giving and it makes people want to give back because it's human nature. Whenever they get a video every single week, they want to give something back. So when they come to the show, they're more likely to buy a t-shirt. They're yeah. more likely to buy a VIP pass. They're more likely to tip the band. They're more likely to um, give back. And so what I decided was to just stop trying to be important and give music to people and trust that it would come back and it has come back tenfold i mean anyone who's listening right now that is interested in the new way of music you know i think i think it really is important to just be honest and real i think the world of social media which is how i've had my success appreciates it I do. I think when I see, you know, and I don't want to get all preachy on anybody, but when I see these girls on Instagram and they're, you know, posting like these little memes of their perfect body that they filmed 28 times to get the right angle, I don't think that makes anybody feel good. I know it doesn't make me feel good when I stumble across their page because I'm like, geez, you know, I just worked out for... An hour and my body doesn't look like that. And I don't want to do that to my fans. I want my fans to come to my page and be like, Oh my gosh, how funny there's Karen laughing in front of a mariachi band that's opening for her in San Antonio. Who has a mariachi band that opens for them and to feel like everything is real. I think that's very important, and I think that's one thing that I've done right.
1: Well, I think for any aspiring artist out there who's listening to this uh, that, that wants a lesson on how to uh, methodically build a career, t- take a look at, uh, at the way Karen has approached things, because I think it's, it, it's it's masterful. And I think uh, uh, I, I think Nashville has taken note of that, and, and, I, and I, I think there's some big things on the horizon there. Thank so. you. I, Nashville
4: has been nothing but sweet, supportive, and filled with resources for me. And the people that I've met in this town that are so kind... It's really great. And I can't say everybody's been kind. Sure. Those people can just get on with it, go jump on a lake. But the people who are my friends in this town, they, they are genuinely friends. They uh, really are. They genuinely want what's best for me.
1: So the takeaway here is if you want to build a career, go out and get yourself a job as a copier <laughs> right. salesperson so you've got that thick skin, so you know how to handle rejection. Right. You know how to uh, uh, to make a sale and That's close it. the deal That's it. And, and get after it. So Karen, I sure do appreciate you taking the time to join us on FastLine fast track and you're welcome back here anytime thank you so much we h- hope to hear more of that new music as it's released and uh, uh I'd love to have you so we're gonna get her mic'd up here and uh, let you listen to the sounds of karen waldrop let's do it
4: hey this is karen waldrop this song's called me again
5: That we should grow old all by all.
4: that are always there for you um, whenever you need them when you're going through hard stuff. Um, That song's really special to me. It's um, a song that I wrote through a really hard time and I'm really thankful that I got through it. So that one's called Me Again and um, that one's very special to me. This next one is called Parker Presley and this song is about waiting for love for a really long time and then finally finding it and being so thankful and this one's called Parker Presley and it's off my record Justified. Mm.
5: and simple He's always been
4: Parker Presley, and uh, that one's fun. I wrote that song uh, randomly one day and didn't expect it to make the record, and I started playing it live, and people said they really liked it, and so I think that's one of the cool things about playing in front of people is they'll just tell you the truth. If they never come up and say that they like a song, then you probably shouldn't play it anymore, but if they always come up and say that they love the song, um, then that's the sign that you should maybe go in the studio and record it, so I try to follow that. Um, You know, If I play a song multiple times and no one ever comes up and says it affected them, then it might not be worth recording. So that was one of the ones that I remember the first time I ever played it live, this little girl came up and she was like, that was the best song you played all night. And I'm like, really? (laughs) I didn't even know that was good. Um, So anyway, it's interesting how you don't really know um, if a song's really that great or not, but you just kind of keep writing them. And and then eventually you get one like this that I definitely did not think was great. I thought it was a joke, Um, but the producer Garth Bunness thought it was great. So we ended up Putting it on the record, and um, now it's probably one of the most played songs in honky-tonks of mine um, ever, and it's a great line dancing song, and it's been really fun to play it um, in for, in large line dancing crowds and watch people line dance to it, because it's a true honky-tonker, and this one's called What Goes On In This Bar Stays In This Bar. One, two, three, four.
1: And those were the sounds of rapidly rising country star Karen Waldrop. Please be sure to go check her out at karenwaldrop.com. Well, it's that time. The National Farm Machinery Show will be held February 12th through the 15th at the Kentucky Exposition Center in Louisville, Kentucky, and we'll be there. Come see us in the South Wing, booth 8881. We'll be doing tapings there each day, and we'd love for you to stop by and say hi. And if you're in the market for farm equipment, but you're not going to be able to make it to the show, or if you are, make your first stop, FastLine.com. Check out the equipment locator with the price comparison tool featuring the Iron Average powered by Iron Solutions. That's FastLine.com. Have you subscribed to FastLine Fast Track yet? Head on over to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio. And be sure to follow our Spotify playlist for music from past, current, and upcoming guests of the show. Also, be sure to follow us on social media on Facebook. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Next week on the show, we'll have complete coverage of the National Farm Machinery Show from Louisville, Kentucky. This is Brent Adams saying, come back then and bring along a friend. You've been listening
0: to Fast Line Fast Track presented by Fast Line Media Group. To learn more about Fast Line's customer-focused marketing solutions, visit FastLineMediaGroup.com and check out our brand websites FastLine.com, BigAg.com, and
3: PinkTractor.com. If you have topics suggestions for future podcasts drop us a line at brent.adams at fastline.com
0: something
4: like that